Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. If you didn't bring a Bible or need a Bible, I, I want to invite people to step up. We have a bunch over there. This is just the, the Bible we use in-house. It's a New Living Translation. It's, it's a, it's a, uh, it's not the, it might not, may not be the best translation, but it's one that I understand, so it's good, right? Um, and we are going to be, um, if you want to cheat, we're going to go to page 299. So that's so that, for those of you who use this, I actually know what I'm going to teach on. Those of you who don't have this, you have no clue yet. So that's good. Advantage? Okay. <laughs> But I, I love um, uh, following the Jewish calendar, mainly because the Lord put it in my heart that we as Christians need to understand God's perspective, not just a Christian perspective. Like, what is Yahweh actually doing? So we are in the season, uh, in the last 10, 10 days, there was the Feast of Yom Teruah which is the blowing of the trumpet, calling people to account, calling people to gather and to start a repentance process. There was 10 days called the 10 days of awe, the days of awe that said Israel, which we're included. How many people believe that Christians are included in, in Israel? Anybody know their scripture? Yeah. So if, if the trumpet is blown for Israel, that should be blown for us, right? And, and the, the word says, repent for 10 days. Get your stuff together. Let God speak to you and change your life. And then a couple days ago, actually this weekend, it's called Yom Kippur, which is the day of atonement. That is when Israelites recognize that there is an atoning sacrifice for their benefit. Close the door, don't let him leave. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a teacher. I make fun of students. It's what I do. Okay. But <laughs> right in the midst, I don't. Okay, so here's the thing. The, the, the day of atonement is when the people of God realize there's an atonement set. And, and the Jews in, of, of history would, would send or would actually sacrifice for their sins. Now, for us, what's very cool is we realize that, that our call to repentance is every day. And our atonement is found in the blood of Jesus Christ, right? Isn't that cool? So we, the story is, it fits, but we don't follow all the rigmarole. But what's fun is from the day of atonement, which, which actually happens a couple days ago, there's a four or five day period. And, and the next feast is the Feast of Tabernacles. Now that is the coolest thing. That's when the Jews of old, and even now some, they would build temporary dwellings like tents out in their backyard, and they would dwell in it. And it really is a reminder, first of all, that God is the one that guides them through their life. That God is the one that provides for them. That, that they're only temporary dwelling. Like, like this dwelling is only temporary, right? Every, how many people know that you will live forever? Oh. <clears throat> Let me tell you, you are going to live forever. Man, aren't you glad that this, you can teach next week something different? You're going to live forever. The, the only thing that matters is, as in real estate, location, location, location. Right? You're going to live forever, location, location, location. That's all, this whole church service, this whole t preaching is all about, hey, can, you need to be in the right location. Right? So the Jews believe that there is a promise that God will, will lead them through their life, that they are they're pilgrims, that, that, that this is only temporary, and the promise that God will be with them forever. So here's the thing, ready? <clears throat> the, the Day of Atonement, right, which happened a couple days ago, they actually called the Day of Affliction. It's when the Jews would fast and they would they, they would sacrifice to the Lord. And in a couple days, they call it the day of eternal rejoicing. And I thought of that, like, we are, that's, where, that's where my life is. I know the atonement. How many people know the atonement? Anybody? If, I, I want to see hands. Yes. Do, do you, so those of you who don't know the atoning power of God, we need to pray for you. 
seriously, no, I'm serious. The atoning power of God is the reason why somebody can say, I believe that Jesus died for my sin, and I know that my eternal heaven, my eternal home is in heaven. So I believe the atoning, the atoning power of God, and I have a promise that God will be with me forever. But I'm in the middle of those right now. My life today is, I know the atonement, and I'm not quite in eternity. And guess what? That's where we're all at. All of us are trudging this earth going, dang, God, how long? <laughs> yeah, well, I wish it could be next. I mean, some of us don't want to die, and some of us want to die right now. <laughs> Let's get this party started. Because the promise is there's going to be a party Serious party, right? So I, I just want to tell you, and that's good. I, I've been through a page. That's fantastic. <laughs> there, there's a psalm, psalm, psalm 1611. Let me just read it. It says, you make known the path for my, of my life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. God, I trust that you are the one that are, is going to show me what I'm supposed to do in this life. And when I'm in your presence, I'm going to have joy. And there's a promise of eternity. Now, I just want to tell you before I get into the message, because I haven't started yet. Joy, and I've said this before, joy is not, is not based on experience or not based on uh, circumstance right? So this is how you know. This is, I've said this before. You know the difference between happiness and joy. Because when you say happy, the next word is birthday. Come on. Happy. Happy. It's based on a day. It's based on a circumstance. It's based on a, a, a party, right? That's what happiness is. It's circumstantial. It's okay to be happy. Please be happy. Have good circumstances in your life. Fantastic. Win the game. Find the coin. Whatever. Be happy. Joy is not that. Joy is based on one event, and that is God in you. If God isn't in you, you can be happy as heck, but you won't have joy. Joy is bigger and larger and circumscribes everything in your life. Joy changes how you see everything. Good days, bad days, up days, down days, poor days, rich days. Joy it comes from the inside. It's the presence of God in your life. If you don't have joy, please understand there's hope for you. There's really hope for you. And you might be saying, boy, I don't want that. Good. You should, right? So, <laughs> I know. I've talked a lot and I'm thirsty. So today we're going to be studying in the, in the uh, book of 1 Kings. And, and we're going to actually go to chapter 18. If you have one of the black Bibles, it's actually 299. But I, but I, I want to tell you, it's very risky in this, in our community to talk about an Old Testament story because <laughs> I don't know what you know. And if I start teaching something that you don't know, I'm a bad teacher. That's really horrible uh, strategy. So I have to sort of build the story up. I'm going to pretend you know nothing and I will be partially right <laughs> for some of you maybe, right? So that's good. So I, I wanna, we're, we're going to be talking about a prophet that God established, and uh, this is the prophet Elijah, and he has some of the ama most amazing stories that happened in the Bible. That's very cool. Can I tell you, it's about 70 years after a split. So back in the story. So the kingdom that God established in Israel, the whole nation that established with uh, King David and King Solomon, it had been split because the 10 tribes of the north, they called Israel, decided to, to rebel and start serving other gods like Baal and Ashereth and, all, and Molech, all these other gods who aren't really gods, but they, they worshiped them because they let them enjoy their pleasures. And the lower two kingdoms we call Judah, they stayed 
honorable with the Lord, right? But the upper tribe, Israel, lower tribe, Judah, right? Now, about 70 years after the split, this guy, Elijah, shows up on the scene, and he is a prophet who speaks to the king of Israel, evil king, bad dude named Ahab. We're gonna, that's where the story's going, just to let you know. So he breaks into that, and uh, so Elijah tells Ahab, hey, listen, Israel, because they've been worshiping these false gods, I'm going to stop the rain for years And you're not going to have any rain or dew until I say so. And the king said, praise God. No, no, he didn't say that at all. (laughs) He wasn't very happy. In fact, because of this, Elijah got the nickname of Troubler of Israel. (laughs) That's what they called him. And so, but what's funny is from that point, uh, Elijah ran away and hid for a while by a brook, and then he went up to another city, and he, the story you might have heard before where he actually um, serves a widow who's not a Jew and uh, provides oil and flour miraculously for years, and then her son dies, and he actually prays over her, over him, and he is raised from the dead. Anybody hear those stories? Those are amazing, just powerful stories of Elijah. You know, 1 Kings 18, 17 and 18, you really want to catch it. It's very, very cool, right? Um, but the third year of the drought, third year of the drought, the Lord tells Elijah, go back to Ahab. And he's directed to create or to cause a showdown. And so Elijah says, I want to meet with all of the prophets, 450 prophets of Baal, which is the, Baal is the, god, the sun god who was responsible for wealth and prosperity. So he was a big deal. Everybody wanted to worship him because everybody wants to get rich. Anybody here want to, no, that's, if you want to get rich, it doesn't mean that's your god, but it could be, right? And Asherah, Asherah was Jezebel, his wife's special goddess, and she was a goddess of fertility, Right, So he, he says, he, he challenges these guys. He said, I, I want to throw all the 450 uh, prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. Bring them here. Let's have a showdown and see who God, whose God is God. Right, that's pretty, pretty stout. Right? Um, and, and so what's interesting is the prophets of Asherah didn't show up <laughs> for some reason. Maybe they knew the truth. Anyway, so I want to start at First uh, Kings chapter eighteen, uh, starting at verse twenty-two. How are we doing? <sighs> Page two ninety-nine. Then Elijah said to them, "Am I the only prophet of the Lord who is left? But Baal has four hundred and fifty prophets. Now bring two bulls, the prophet of Baal." Prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire on the wood is the true God. Wow. I want to see that. And all the people agreed. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls, prepare it, and call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. They called on the name of Baal from morning to noontime. Now they started at nine in the morning. That's typically what they did, right? From nine to noontime, shouting, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply. Of any kind, they danced and hobbled around the altar that they had made. Now, noontime's big, right? That sun, that it's a sun god, so noontime is they're expecting big things. And what they get is crickets, right? They get crickets, right? Uh, about noontime, Elijah became, began mocking them. Good old Elijah. You'll have to shout louder, he said. He scoffed, for surely he is a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming or relieving himself, which means he's using the toilet. That's what it actually means. It just, it's, isn't that special? <laughs> or he's busy or something. Uh, or maybe he's away on a trip or he's asleep. Maybe he needs to be wakened. 
So they shouted louder and followed their normal customs. They cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response. Elijah gave the prophets of Baal all the time they needed to have their God respond, and there was nothing. Now, in Christ, we should not be surprised. Now, the the time of the evening sacrifice, I know it's a little bit early for us, but for them, it was probably around 2.30 in the afternoon. So they had been from 9 in the morning to 2.30 in the afternoon, right? For five and a half hours, the prophets of Baal had been trying to, to muster and summon their God, and there's nothing. Verse 30, then Elijah called the people. Hey, hey, come here. They all crowded around. It's probably 2,000 people or so, I'm gonna guess. They crowded around him and, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. So this is something a little bit different. Watch what he does. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, right? The, the, the people of Israel, the tribe, the 10, had fallen away and they, they, they rebelled against God, but he, he built them back into an altar, Right? He drew them out. Here's the truth. The people of Israel walked away from God, but God never walked away from them. God always said, hey, you're rebellious, but I'm still your God. I'm, you're still my people. Right? So Elijah builds this altar, and he, he does 12 stones, and he uses the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. He dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he he said, fill four large uh, jars of water and pour the water over the offering in the wood. And then they'd done this, and he said, do the same thing. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. As As they did, he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. 36. At the usual time for offering of the evening sacrifice, about three o'clock, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are the God of Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O God, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Notice the purpose. Elijah is saying, don't do, don't do this so that I'm seen as powerful. Do it so people, the people of Israel, will turn their hearts back to, to you. Right? Can I tell you just a sideline? Everything a Christian does on this life, in this world, is designed to be impacting to people around you so that they would be drawn into Christ. If you don't know you're doing that, then you're not doing that. <laughs> Please repent, okay? Please change, all right? So Elijah is operating as an obedient servant, right? His desire is to demonstrate God's power so Israel will repent. 38, immediately fire of the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven, burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It licked up all the water in the trenches. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down and cried, Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Wow. Wow, watch what happens. See, that's cool. These 2,000 people or so, I'm guessing the number, they're all of a sudden, they're saying, wow. We see the power of God. Watch what Elijah, Elijah does next in verse 40. Then Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one of them escape. So the people seized them all. And Elijah took them down to Kishon Valley and killed them there. And you're going, ooh, how gross. How could God allow people to kill other people? Ooh, I've heard that so many times. Can you tell? I, I, for our benefit, can I tell you? If you are people, which you are, and, and God is telling you to stop evil living, your responsibility is to kill it. Not massage it. Not allow it to stay in your life. So if you're a thief... Don't say, eh, I could steal when I feel like it. God may be telling you, stop it, cold turkey. God is asking the people of Israel to stop their rebellion, to cut out evil 
things in your life. If you had a cancer issue and you said, it's okay if I have a tumor, you don't have to take it out. My suggestion is, I think that's bad counsel. If you can take out the full cancer, that's probably wisdom. That is what God is requiring and and Elijah is, is asking the people of Israel to do. So they recognize God's sovereignty and they kill the prophets of uh, Baal. And, and this, what's beautiful is this is a parallel of Jesus and us. Jesus performs a convincing victory over death and Satan. For, and that's how our sins are atoned. In, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 to 15, I'm going to read it to you. It says, you speaking all of us, were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them in the cross. That's exactly what happened. This is an Old Testament story talking, us, talking to us about the salvation that Jesus provides. It's a beautiful story. Watch this. Ready? I need some more water. Forgive me. We're going to start at verse 41. Verse 41. Now, remember that Elijah had, had prayed that the, uh, or I told Ahab that there wouldn't be any rain. Right? So in verse 41, then Elijah said to King Ahab, Go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and he bowed to the ground and prayed. I love the fact that Elijah was on the job. He says, My job is to tell, is to prove to Ahab that God is the one that provides rain, not his God. So Elijah comes down and he prays. Then he said to his servant, Elijah did, go look toward the sea. And the servant went out and looked and returned to Elijah and and said, "I, I don't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him, go and look. Finally, on the seventh time, the, the servant told him, I saw a little cloud, the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, Climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. What, what kind of dude is this guy, Elijah? He sees a tiny cloud. He goes, it's coming. Can I tell you? Sometimes when I see really small stuff, I don't expect it to grow into big stuff. Can I tell you? Sometimes God will give you a small promise. And he means for you to understand it's a really big promise. I just, whoever needs to hear that. Hmm. So then Elijah shouted, oh no, he already said that, 45. And soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. That's his capital city. That's his home. When the Lord, then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked in his cloak into his belt, and he ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. That's 14 miles. A man who just performed this incredible miracle outruns a chariot. Any sprinters here? 14 miles is a long ways. Outrunning a a chariot with a horse is, is insane, right? It has to be a miracle, right? So that's the story. All right, we're, we're, we're about ready to start the sermon. <clears throat> Chapter 19. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah. So Elijah ran in front of, of King Ahab the whole way and, and King Ahab tells his wife, who is an evil person. I'll just leave it there. And Je- so verse 2 says, So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah. May the gods strike me 
and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you and just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid for his life, afraid and fled for his life and went to Beersheba, a, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who've already died. Then he laid down and slept under a broom tree. What just happened? This man, God had used to perform one of the most incredible miracles ever performed in the Bible. He prayed for a drought and it stopped the rain. He called down fire from heaven and it consumed everything it touched. He prayed that rain happen and rain happened. That's a pretty solid connection with the Almighty God, wouldn't you say? What in the world just happened? He goes ahead. He's there. And all of a sudden, a woman's voice that says, I'm going to kill you, just cuts him. Can I tell you that some of you are here right now? Can I pray for you? Heavenly Father, I pray that your word would have a supernatural touch on us today. I pray, Father, as Jesus spoke, that you would cause the, the, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, the mute to speak, that you would heal the brokenhearted, that your spirit would go ahead of any words that I speak, but even now that you would restore those who feel lost, that those, those who feel broken, those who are just wandering, I pray that this word would help them. I pray that you would make a difference and that you would perform a supernatural healing today. We just thank you in Jesus' name. It's, it's tough to analyze people in the Bible. It really is. It's, it's truly not fair, except sometimes you just see stuff pretty clearly. But what happened, right? On the outside, it, it makes no sense that Elijah would be buckled by this woman. It just makes no sense. Uh, you know, he does all this stuff, but there's a verbal challenge, right? Uh, but let's just take a look at some things that we know. Elijah had depleted all of his energy. Elijah had just run for 14 miles. He was exhausted physically. Um, uh, that that he, he had been challenged, Right? Uh, what I want to say is that I believe, I submit to you, that when Elijah ran ahead of uh, Ahab, he was expecting something. When he prayed over the people that the fire would come down, he prayed that the hearts of Israel would be changed. And I think he ran back expecting repentance. He had an expectation. I mean, there was only two things that could have happened. There was a repentance by Ahab and Jezebel, or maybe they died. I think that when he heard the challenge, it cut him. It cut him. And then he runs for his life. Fear grips him. He escapes from Jezebel's jurisdiction, right? He goes from the kingdom of Israel into the kingdom of Judah, right? It's like outrunning the cops if you pass a, a county line. I don't know. That's, I guess that's only in the south. And, and I don't know. If, I guess your name has to be what? On some southern. <laughs> I don't know what it is. But, but uh, Elijah isolates himself, right? He, he leaves his servant in one area and then he keeps on going and gets like a second layer of isolation, and then he's alone in a wilderness and he travels all day in that. There's a sense of hopelessness. He confesses his emptiness. He confesses his failure. And then death is the logical conclusion. Does anybody know what we're looking at? Depression. We're looking at depression right here. Right? And, and can I tell you that what, what really struck me when I read this is we're all really no different than that. I mean, not, not everybody deals with depression the same way. I, I get that. 
Some people are more pre they have a more, more of a condition that they're going to be or lend themselves to depression. But I, I want to tell you that this, this is true for a lot of sinful areas of our lives, right? We're in between atonement and eternal life, and we're slugging through this life. And I want to tell you that there are conditions that that sometimes bring us to a place of sinning or walking away from God that we need to be aware of. Can I just read a few? Stress, fatigue, sickness, hunger, sorrow, weakness, disappointment. Anybody ever feel those at all? You don't have to put your hands up. I know where your hands are. We all feel those. We all feel those. Some are better than others. I hate that. I dodge. I try not to feel that way. But I've been depressed and not wanting to get out of bed. I've, I've isolated myself from people. I know, me. Yeah, that's me. Isolated myself from people. Isol- isolated myself from just thinking about anything. I've run from stuff. I've been exhausted But one of the things that, th- that those conditions, when we're weak, we, we, get, we, we become more susceptible to triggers. Triggers like rejection and betrayal and unjust treatment and challenged beliefs and helplessness or lost control or being ignored or disapproval or criticism and feeling unwanted and unneeded. And when somebody triggers that word, all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm going to kill you. See, some of us don't get depressed, we get angry. Some of us find yourselves in fits of, of, of anxiety. Some of us go into more sorrow. Some of us fall into our, our, our specialized area of addiction, whatever that might be. See, we, this is human condition. And everybody is in that place between atonement and eternal rejoicing. We're all here. And the beautiful thing is, God is all about that. Watch what happens, right? So here's this prophet of God who's done an amazing thing, and what would you do, right? Why doesn't God correct him? Why doesn't God take him and go, hey, what are you doing, buddy? What are you doing? Everybody's watching. Watch what God does. Watch the love of the Heavenly Father for you today. If you're in a place of depression, if you're in a place of struggle, please understand that God is right there. The softening of the music was for you today. Please hear that. Elijah expected a different result, and the result was depression. While Elijah was done, God wasn't done with Elijah. It says, but as he was sleeping, an angel, of, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and, and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. I thought it's really interesting. He's asleep and the angel wakes him. And, and then says, eat and then go back to sleep. You know what struck me? is that when you're sleeping in depression, you're not resting. I pray God wake you up if you're sleeping with your depression. Because that is not healthy. If you're isolated and you keep to yourself, that's not healthy. Even though you think it is, it's not. I pray that God would wake you up and, and change your nutrition. Watch what he does. God says, here, eat the bread I wonder what that means. Drink the water. I wonder what that means. If you have any New Testament statement, you know that it's the bread of life and the, and the living water. We, when we're sick, we're not healthy. We need good food and good water. That's what we need. We don't just need to sleep on our own power. God wakes him up and says, your sleep is wrong. Eat this, drink this, and then sleep. Change, change the way I think. 
God provides the bread from heaven and the living water. Verse 7. Then the angel of the Lord came to him and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, for the journey ahead will be too much for you. We need a series of good food and water. Health isn't just a one-time thing. You know, God touched me five years ago. (laughs) You know, I remember when God told me 20 years ago I was supposed to do this. No, we need a continual feeding. We need a continual feeding. We need to eat again and drink again. But watch what God does. He says, hey, guess what, Elijah? I know you said you're done, but you're not. I want you to eat and drink because I have a journey for you. Can I tell you, when you think you're done, God goes, yeah, I know you think you're done. (laughs) Guess when you know you're done? This thing stops working. (laughs) You're not done until God says he's done with you. And he says he's not done with you. He puts him on a journey. Watch what God does with him. Because God is going to do the same thing with you. Watch what he does. Um, he, says, he says, I'm going to put you on the journey. And notice that God knows exactly what you need before you go. You're going to need this strength and nourishment because the journey is going to be such that you need it. Watch this, verse 8. So he got up and ate and drank. Well, at least he's obedient to the angel. He got up and ate and drank. And the food gave... And the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. It doesn't say he ate any more food. So he had enough food and strength, maybe, to not eat for 40 days. It doesn't say specifically, but I'm going to say maybe. Two things. 40 days, 40 in the Bible means a time of testing and proving. Right? God already knows the full truth. The 40 days is for me to see truth. God shows me what God already sees. Right? And he says, we're going to a destination, the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. This is the same mountain where Moses received the Ten Commandments. Right? That's the mountain. We're going to go, and I think it's about 200 miles. We're going to go 200 miles in 40 days. So God wants to take him deeper, right? Elijah had done all this amazing stuff, and God says, you're not done. I want to show you something deeper. Can I tell you, sometimes I've seen Christians, I'm not speaking to anybody here. We'll say another church another time. But sometimes there are Christians that go, oh yeah, God did stuff in my life years ago. What has he done recently? Ah, you know, I've been a Christian for 40 years or whatever. And and I just want to tell you, don't be satisfied that that's the only event. That's the problem if you say, Jesus, come into my life and I'm a Christian forever. God's into an intimate relationship with you, which means it's every day, all the time. So he, uh, in verse 9, it says that there he came to a cave and spent the night. Now, the, most scholars, some scholars believe it's the same cave that Moses was at, which is very cool. And then he rested. He had another night of sleep. And I agree. I think that that, I'm going to believe that that's where he's at. So it, then it says, um, <clears throat> but the Lord said to him, what are you doing here? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel, uh, they've broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. What kind of question is that? Why Why did God say, what are you doing here? I think sometimes we need to stop and go, what are you, what am I doing? 
Why am I acting this way? Why am I in, it's stuck in this behavior? Why, why, what's the purpose? I love the fact where Jesus asks blind Bartimaeus on the side of the road and he calls him to him and he says, well, what do you want? I just love it. I just, I just love that scripture. It's like, duh. Sometimes we need to figure out why we're doing what we're doing. We need to have that time of thinking. But, but the, the crazy part is Elijah comes off this diatribe about, well, uh, these this people, they hate you and they're trying to kill me. It's like, what, what question is Elijah asking or answering? Why didn't Elijah say, well, you told me to be here. You, you're the one that gave me the roadmap. It's your GPS. But you know what, he, you know what answer Elijah was asked? You know what question he was ask, actually answering? He was answering why are you depressed? Why have you given up? See, that's what he's asking. Can I tell you what my problem is, God? I'm giving up and depressed because nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat worms. That's why. I'm depressed because I deserve to be depressed. Have you seen my life? Have you seen my bank account? Do you know what my kids are like? Have you met my family? <laughs> Have you do live in California? <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> Lord have mercy. <clears throat> Verse 11. Go out and stand before me on the mountain. This is what God says. The Lord told him. And as Elijah, Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. Then, or when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. And he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. You know what? Moses experienced the same thing. And what what comes to mind, the picture I get, is the prophets are in this cave. And this wind comes in and it tears the rock apart. And then, then the, the uh, earthquake happens. And then the fire. If you've been around church enough, you know this, this statement that they were safe in the cleft of the rock. See, the rock, the cave that they were in is a picture of Jesus. The wind And the earthquake and the fire, those are the judgments that God can put on man because we deserve to die. But Jesus protects us and and guards us from that wrath because he died in our case. The cross is evidence that the rock stands. Do I deserve the wind and the earthquake and the fire? Yes, I do. But because I'm nestled in the rock, I'm protected. Then Elijah hears something. And it's interesting, he responds to this voice. I've heard that voice. See, it's not that Elijah didn't know the voice of God. But he'd forgotten some of it, that intimate. And so he's drawn, this voice, this whisper draws him to to the... edge or the front of the, uh, the, the cave. <clears throat> and the voice says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Again, what are you doing here? I, I think the question for me is the Lord is, is always checking like, do I want to do it my way or his way? That's, I mean, I'm just speaking for me. The Lord will fill in what you need to hear. Sometimes I I get busy thinking that I'm supposed to serve God a certain way and God has no desire for me to do that. Sometimes I need to stop and let him show me. Right? But, But I think it's just really interesting. But he but Elijah replies the same thing. He said, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, 
killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left. And now you're trying to kill me too. I think when somebody's depressed, it's hard to get out of the narrative that I deserve to be depressed. I think sometimes we just need to regurgitate that. Notice what the Lord says next. Verse 15. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came. Travel to to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael, the king of Aram or Syria, which is a neighboring uh, country. Then anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abal Mahola, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazel will be killed by Jehu. Anyone who escapes from Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed before Baal or kissed him. First thing, the Lord directs Elijah to retrace his steps. I need to speak this to some of us here. Nah, to all of us. When you're in a struggle, when you're frustrated, when you're depressed, when you're dealing with anger issues or, or anxiety or whatever you're trapped in, and, and you find yourself weak or frustrated or stressful or hungry or whatever, and there are triggers that just, just stir this stuff up, you need, to, you need to retrace your steps. You need, to, you need to ask the Lord, why am I this way? Why do I have this thing where I'm always angry? Why do I have this, this feeling that I'm always anxious? Why do I feel like I, I steer into depression? Why am I this way? And the Lord may tell you to retrace your steps. To, and he'll direct you so that you'll find healing. The Lord gave Elijah new assignments. The Lord never took Elijah away from being a prophet of God. He didn't say, eh, you depressed son of a gun, you're no longer worthy to be my prophet. That's what the church would do sometimes. <laughs> eh, you failed. God doesn't do it that way. God's okay using weak people. Hallelujah. <laughs> right? He's okay using people who are broken. Hallelujah. God gave Elijah new assignments. God gave, God informed Elijah that there was going to be a change in leadership, both for Syria and Israel and as a prophet. And then the Lord does something that he could have done earlier. He tells Elijah the truth. Three times, maybe four times in the scripture, we read three times where Elijah said, I'm alone. I'm the only one. Nobody's serving you like me. I'm the only one that gets at God. God says, Elijah, nope. I got 7,000 you don't know about. Can I tell you, thinking that you're alone is a great tool of the enemy. Thinking you're the only one that has that special step. God goes, don't you believe it? Because that, that, that deception will draw you away. Charles Spurgeon said this, when Elijah went back over that road, it was a very different step from that which brought him to Beersheba. He had come along terrified and distressed. But now he goes back with the majesty that belongs to, to the Tishbite. That's who he is. He is afraid of no Jezebel uh, any longer. Listen, Jesus from the very beginning says, hey, listen, don't have false expectations. Some of us believe that we can walk with Jesus and not get persecuted, not have bad days. We think of the stories, hey, I'm going to walk on water forever. God says, ah, Jesus said, no. 
If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. <laughs> In this world, you will have various trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. Not you won't get burned. Oh, I think I'm not going to have a problem. I'm going to live in Easy Street. I'm going to have no, all my kids will be perfect. Can I tell you, I've seen families in churches dissolve because they thought because they were Christians, their kids wouldn't be rebels. Can I tell you, let me just tell you, those of young people, kids are rebels from the beginning. I remember people saying, oh, look at the little angel. Please don't say that because it's not true. How, what sort of deception are you living in? No, your kid's a sinner. <laughs> you want me to prove it? <laughs> oh. You know, so I, I, I just want to tell you right now, I, I'd like the elders to come up and I want to pray for us. I, I feel, and, and the musicians, you can come up as well. I guess we're going to. But the, the truth of the matter is, I, I believe the Lord wants to heal us. I believe that, more importantly, God wants to heal you. <laughs> there, there is a, a word that we need to hear today that, that God sets us free from our depression, from those areas of anger that we've been stuck in, anxiety, frustration, things that, that we have no power. They, if you've ever found yourself in there, you may need prayer today. And I want to tell you that the, the source may be this, that you need to submit to the presence of God. Joy, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The presence of the Lord brings joy. So I just want to speak that to us. And later at the end, we're going to play a, a, a song just about the joy of the Lord. And I, I, I just want you to, you know, I don't want this... I just want to, I want to encourage you to just rejoice for God being the one who sets you free. And then afterwards we'll have announcements. So, but right now what I'd like, if you'd love prayer, I'd, like, I'd love to pray for you. Or if you want to just raise your hand, we'll come. We, we can move. We have legs. We can pray for you. This is not a show. So let me pray for us generally. And then if you need prayer, please come to us or raise a hand. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're the God of all heaven, that you know exactly what e where each heart is. You know why we're here. You know why we came this morning more than we do. You know what we need before we ask. We're tired. We're hurt. We're frustrated. We're angry. We're depressed. <laughs> we're stuck in between atonement and eternal joy. We desire your presence today. So I ask that you would open up every heart. We come against every demonic scheme that would bring fear or I don't want to be exposed. We come against that. We pray that you would set every hindrance away in the name of Jesus. Amen. Musicians, if you'll play.
we're going to play a song. I, I'd, I'd love for you to stand if you can. And um, so this is, this is a song the Lord gave me at the very beginning. And I know that we don't know it, but the words are on it. So even if you don't know the words and you don't know how to sing, I want you to make good noises, okay? Please. You can...
just thank you. I'm going to just pray for us now, and then you can watch the announcement and scoot. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word today. We thank you that your desire is to move us from darkness to light, to pull us out of every muck and mire. And in this, in this season, in between atonement and eternal rejoicing, we pray that your sovereignty and your care would be upon us, that our eyes would be open, our hearts be able to receive your word for us. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. amen. Well, good morning, ARCF family. Hey, if you're newish here, we have something very special coming up just for you. Next Sunday, September 29th at 10.30 a.m., right after the service, we're going to be holding in the office our very first pastors and pastries. This will be a great opportunity for you to meet the staff and learn a little bit more about what we do here. Plus, we'll be signing autographs, taking selfies, and selling overpriced merchandise. Wait, so we're not going to be signing autographs? I just bought 3,000 black and white glossies of myself. I mean, look at this face. It's just begging to be written all over with a Sharpie. Okay, so at least we still have the merchandise. Wait, we're not doing that either? Well, I better get this in now. For just 20 easy payments of $89.95, you can get yourself a one-of-a-kind Jeremy Kennedy bundle. You'll get a fabulous t-shirt with my face on it. Four volumes of ARCF announcement videos, greatest hits the Jeremy Kennedy Grill. And as a bonus, we'll throw in a 3,000 pack of Jeremy stickers. That way you'll see this gorgeous face in about every moment of your life. You're welcome. So make sure you get yours now. So if you are new with us, or if you've been here for a little while, but haven't met the whole entire crew, then we want to invite you to join us for some delicious pastries next Sunday and some fellowship time with the staff. So mark your calendars, September 29th, 10.30 a.m., right after the service. Thank you so much to everyone who came out yesterday to help clean up the corner lot. Giving up a little bit over an hour of your time yesterday is so greatly appreciated. We are so grateful for our volunteers, but we're not quite done sprucing up things around here. So please make sure you mark your calendars for two different cleanups that are gonna be happening at the same time. That's right, a two for one deal. Saturday, October 2nd, starting at 9 a.m., we're gonna be having a crew that's gonna be working on the playground, making it look fabulous. And at the same time, we're gonna have a crew working on our kitchen, making it all sparkly clean. This is a great opportunity to bring your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, to show them what it means to serve God by serving the church. And of course, refreshments will be provided. So remember, Saturday, October 2nd, starting at 9 a.m. Do we say thank you enough? Could we say thank you enough? Well, that's a silly question. Of course not. So thank you. Oh, I should probably give some context here. Our missions team is so grateful for you, especially for all the support that you have given to our Philippines ministry. You have absolutely hit it out of the park showing God's love through our Adopt a Backpack ministry. This is the eighth year that this program has been going on and you have filled up this year seven full boxes of gifts for the kids in the Philippines. I am not joking, they are packed full. So we are praising God for allowing us to be able to do this. But as a way to say thank you, the Philippines ministry team is going to be whipping you up a delicious dinner on Sunday, October 10th at 6 p.m. right over there in the Connection Center. You are certainly not gonna wanna miss out on the food and the fellowship. So thank you again, and make sure you mark your calendars for Sunday, October 10th at 6 p.m. All right, church family, that's all I've got for you. As always, please make sure you grab yourself a bulletin, read left to right, front to back, for more events and more information.